Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a regular listener, I appreciate you. You guys are awesome. So today's guest is the founder and CEO of Spartan, which is the world's largest obstacle race and endurance brand. He's also a New York Times bestselling author and has written the book Spartan Up, Spartan Fit, and The Spartan Way. He's also got a podcast called Spartan Up, and you can see all the people he's interviewed on YouTube. And he's been doing this for a few years. So he's, he's interviewed the best of the best, as well as created this, this event that has just um, become this beast. And it's amazing because we hear about his different, his different um, entrepreneurial journeys throughout the years. He's been really successful. But then he really had a, he had a vision and a goal to create this. And it wasn't easy for him. You hear we get into it. He, he failed a few times, but he just kept at it. And he kept going until eventually it became what he wanted it to become. And that's the, that's the message here. It's the resilience. It's the work ethic that you, you, you can't quit. You know, people quit before they even get when they're so close to something. And we get into a lot of different things about um, mental toughness and about routine and how important it is to get up early. Lots of stuff, guys. Although we were fighting our own adversity with the technology, we had a little bit of internet problems. We pieced it together and I think it came out pretty well. So super grateful to have him. We have Joe DeSena joining us. You guys, I'm telling you, this guy is a powerhouse. After this interview, make sure you go check out all his material and you're going to love it because he, he's an inspiring guy. He's a real deal and he's all about teaching you know, his kids how to be mentally tough and how to really understand that life is going to challenge you. So why not be ready for those challenges and start young? So you guys are going to love it. Joe DeSena coming right up. And we're rolling. Joe, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm excited to dive into this, man. I don't know. You've, uh, you've accomplished quite a bit and there's a lot of stuff here I want to unpack and talk about with your journey and Spartan race, Spartan way, all this stuff. Super inspiring, man. And for anybody that has been living under a rock for the last little while and doesn't know who you are, I would love if you could just paint us a little picture, give us a bit of your background. And, you know, let us know how you, how you made that transformation from, you know, going from the corporate world into this world and, you know, kind of paint the picture for us. Build yeah, no a crazy story. I grew up in Queens, uh, New York. I grew up in uh, organized crime capital of the world. Um, you don't get to choose, you know, where you grow up or who, who your family is. And, and uh, if you saw the movie Goodfellas, um, ground zero for that, uh, four of the five bosses were there and the only relevance is uh, if you're a young kid, which I was, and my friends were, you immediately aspire to be that. You know, had I grown up in a neighborhood where uh, there were marathon runners that were winning uh, marathons and getting uh, Mercedes Benz for winning, then that would be who you wanted. You know, that would be what you would chase. Yeah. But um, we wanted money. We wanted nice cars. We wanted a reputation, respect, everything that comes along with it, which were, you know were not good things. Yeah. So my mom recognized that. My mom uh, finds yoga and meditation and monks and, you know, 180 degrees opposite of what, what uh, was going on in their neighborhood. And she moves my sister and I to Ithaca, New York, and, which was more forgiving, more open-minded, more professors uh, surrounded by, you know, universities. And, and, um, and I want to get back. I want to get back to the neighborhood. And, you know, they got divorced. And my neighbor, it turns out, was the, the big boss of, of uh, the Bonanno uh, crime family. And he sees what's going on in my family. And he invites me to start cleaning his pool uh, before I was a teenager. He's going to pay me 35 bucks a week. And so I'm, I'm juggling between um, my, my mom's house in Ithaca and my dad's house in Queens to visit them both. And every time I'm back in Queens, I'm working for you know, the boss. And um, again, I'm, I'm at a very young age and he's teaching me lessons, life lessons that really have um, helped me get through life, which I think everybody listening or watching could apply. And, you know, just very simplistic lessons. If you're going to show up 
you know, at eight o'clock in the morning, you should be here at 745. Like on time is late. When you get here, you don't just do the job I'm paying you for. You go above and beyond. Like if you're cleaning the pool and that's what I'm paying for, you better straighten up the lawn furniture, clean the shed, wipe the windows, whatever the hell it takes so that I feel like I can't get rid of you. You're unbelievable. I want to recommend you to other people. And then thirdly, he said, don't ever ask for money. He said, the money will come. Don't have your hand out. A lot of people that are doing service uh, jobs, they've got their hand out before, before they even do the work. Take an approach that says, if I do a good job, you pay me. And um, that was a little counterintuitive, right? But the business grew. He recommended another boss and another boss. And, and before you know it, I had 700 customers by the time I graduated college. And um, we were cleaning pools. We were doing... We were installing pools, we were doing brickwork, we were rebuilding houses. It became a, a significant business. While I was in college, it was a whole fiasco to even get into college because that was not something on my radar. Yeah. Um, but it would, take, it would take the whole podcast to explain that one. But I get into college and, and I'm, I'm, I'm on my way out and I want to get back to the neighborhood. I want to be with the tough guys. I've got this business. I want a backhoe and I've got trucks and I feel like a badass, right? And I've got great customers and I'm making money. And... I meet this Italian guy, funny enough, who called me 10 minutes ago, who's probably at this point in time, let's say I'm 20 years old and 2021, 20, and he is probably 50 at this time. Right. Right. And he says to me, what are you doing when you graduate? And I said, well, I got the business. I'm going back to run the business. And he said, well, why don't you go to Wall Street? And I was like, what am I going to do on Wall Street? Like, I don't know. I don't know finance. I don't know any of that. Turns out this guy's Italian too. And we take, you know, it takes a liking to me and he continues to push me. You got to go to Wall Street. You got to go to Wall Street. You, you've got a fire in your belly. You're extremely aggressive. You've got exactly what would uh, do well on Wall Street, um, but you're wasting your time on the wrong side of the river. And I'm, it's a going in one ear and out the other. I get back to the neighborhood. I run my business and now I'm 21 years old, 22 years old, 23, 24. And he's calling me every month on the month, this guy. Finally, he gives me a stock tip one day. I had never invested in stocks. And I had money because I was running my business. I was four years out of school. And he convinces me to buy a ton of stock in this, in this company. And the next day, the company gets taken over. And I made a bunch of money. And I said, holy shit, I got to go to Wall Street. This is unbelievable. So, uh, so I sold my business. I went uh, to Wall Street. At this point in time, I've completely lost my mother's principles on yoga, meditation, health food, all the stuff she was pushing. I was after money. Uh, I was eating just like everybody else was eating. I wasn't really training much, but, but because I was working outside and mixing cement and doing stuff like that, I was always somewhat fit. I get to Wall Street, uh, very quickly navigate this new industry and realize uh, I could build my own uh, trading firm. From cleaning pools, I know how to do this, right? I'm, 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 I'm so stupid, I think I'm smart. So, um, I, I end up building a firm. I fail at it first and then I recover, bounce back. I fail forward. Before you know it, we're, we're making real money. I got a, 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 you know, I sold my pool business uh, to the guys that work for me and I've, I've taken a giant leap forward. It's a lot of tension and um, I'm not feeling healthy. And I run into my mother's sister's son, my first cousin, uh, right around, you know, sometime, I don't know, 97, 98. So he said, so, so I said, I'm not doing it. He goes, trust me. He goes, it's 130 degrees in the room. It's hardcore. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like it's, our mother's yoga. It's not a cakewalk, man. It's fucking hard. There's no incense <laughs> yeah. in the living room, no monks. This is going to kick your fucking ass. Right. So, yeah. so I, I was intrigued. So I go and I'm like, this is great. And so now I'm hook, line and sinker on, on, on Bikram yoga and I'm feeling good. And now I'm starting to eat. I'm back to my mother's, you know, I'm back to raw fruits and vegetables with it all in a week. I'm a pretty extreme guy. And then the elevator is broken our building and I take the stairs and I run into this guy. He's got no shirt on. He looks like a chiseled Adonis and he's carrying dumbbells up the stairs. And I meet him. His name's Mike or whatever. And we start talking and he's like, oh, I'm training in the stairs every day. I do these adventure races. I'm like, what the fuck is an adventure race? So he tells me as we climb the stairs, he said, meet me in the morning in the stairwell. So I start training in the stairs with this guy. It takes me to an adventure race. And the adventure race was unbelievable. We're kayaking, we're biking, we're running bells ahead. And I was like, man, this is like the very combined. Like, I felt so great and alive again and off the trading desk. And 
not chasing money. It just felt unbelievable. Yeah. So it was all the stuff rushing back into my head that my mother was teaching me when I was a kid that I wasn't listening to. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm like doing these races around the world. The harder the race, the more interested I'm in. Anything tougher than that, tougher than that, tougher than that, I want to do it. And um, finally I said, I'm going to do, I'm going to put on my own race. So, you know, 1999, 2000, I, I put on a crazy race in the British Virgin Islands, um, gave away a bunch of prize money. It was, I think, 350 miles long. It included like 10 miles of swimming. It was insane. Yeah. And I filmed it and we ended up losing a guy. Somehow, drifted away and no one noticed for eight days. And I find out about it when the race was over that they haven't seen this gentleman. And I had to get the Coast Guard involved. And the Coast Guard plots it out on a map when last person saw him and the, the, the you know, charts out the, the, the way the water would have, where he would have drifted. And they find him 150 miles away on a little Tobago on a deserted, somewhat deserted island. And he's, and he's surviving on crabs and bottles of water that also drifted no here. Way. Yeah. And, um, and they bring him back and I'm like, fuck, I'm going to get sued. This is a disaster. And he's like, Hey man, let's go grab dinner. And I was like, this guy's great. <laughs> <laughs> So they end up uh, doing a story in Sports Illustrated about it, like the quote unquote real survivor. Yeah. And um, it was a financial disaster for me, that race. I lost a ton of money. Um, but I was so psyched. I liked it so much. that, And I was making so much money on Wall Street that I said, you know what, I'm just going to keep putting on these races. And I was basically lighting money on fire. And we just kept putting on events for about a decade from that, from 2000 to 2010, just kept putting on events, kept losing money, but I just loved torturing people. I loved it. I loved watching the transformation and people becoming um, better, getting introduced to themselves the same way I was, applying all the principles my mother had taught me. And in 2010, after the financial crash, I had a lot less money like everybody else. And I said, you know what, this is financially uh, irresponsible. I'm not gonna do it anymore. And I just, I couldn't resist, you know, I was like, well, maybe I could change the format rather than doing all these crazy long distance races, right? Where nobody shows up and I got to lie to people and tell them they're going to a barbecue this weekend. And then I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. getting them to go like hike to oh, the top. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll do like a three mile, eight mile, 13 mile, something a little more uh, attainable. And, um, We'll change the name because at that point I was calling it Peak. Everything was called Peak and Death Race and crazy shit. And I'll call it um, Spartan. And um, I'm only going to invest 50 grand because I've lost millions of dollars over the last decade. 50 grand is all I'm investing in this new venture, this, this reincarnation of what I've been doing. And if it doesn't work, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the ripcord. Well, 50 grand turns into 500. Um, and then it's three, and then it's like I'm on my credit card, three hundred grand a month. It was a disaster, financial disaster. And I got, I had dug such a deep hole. I had gone so backwards that I had no choice but to figure out how to succeed at this. Like I, yeah, I begged, borrowed, stole, did whatever I had to do to get this thing um, to work. And uh, and then some investors came in, some friends supported me, some family. And uh, then one day I woke up and the friggin' thing turned and it finally worked. Wow. But I like to say this is a 20 year old overnight success. I mean, everybody looks at it and it's like, oh, that guy, you know, he created Spartan, worked overnight. Well, kind of 20 years. Yeah, I was, uh, it's funny that you, you talk about this because I was talking about this the other day in a conversation. And when do you know when you're like, fuck, I got to power through this still? Or when is it like, all right, I got I to gotta switch direction, man. This is, you know, because so many that's, times that's a $50 million question. It's, it's that's crazy, man. Because like some people are, you know, what's the saying three feet from gold and they just, they don't even push hard enough in the first place, but then somebody goes and, and goes all in and it, it's almost like you eventually fucking win, you know, so, so a couple of, I'm going to give you some, some anecdotal evidence to answer that question. So a couple of things, because I've been studying this a lot, <laughs> people that are successful, people that find the gold, like I did or you did, whoever, right? That you start to believe that just by working harder and persevering through, you're gonna find gold again. That's not always true. There just might not be gold there, right? And so you could work um, forever. So you gotta be careful. So it's a good question 
you asked. So then the, the next question is, when do you pivot? Like, like a relationship that's toxic that you're in and you're like, I'm just going to persevere because every time I persevere, I find gold. So I'll just push through it. Right. And so I concluded, uh, this is, this is my opinion that the time you're, here's how you decide when you're supposed to pivot. It really goes back to what's your purpose. So if, if you, for example, if you want to be the number one mountain climber in the world, like that's your goal, like Alex Honnold, right? Yeah. Right. If you're about to summit Everest and a storm rolls in, and if you're the first one up there that day, you've got the gold, whatever the thing is, right? You yeah. probably go for it because that's your, that's your purpose. That's the reason you're on the planet. Yeah. However, if your purpose is to be the number one family man, the dad, you got like, you fucking turn around. And so then you'd say, okay, well, Joe, based on what you're saying, here you are all in. You've got a family. My goal at that point wasn't to own the number one obstacle race in the country. Why did I keep going? Really, I, I had no choice. I mean, I, of course you have a choice, right? Yeah. Like, like, like I love Ed Visters. Ed Visters, who's a famous American mountain climber, says, uh, getting to the top is optional. Getting down is mandatory, right? right. So think, think about that. And so it was pretty irresponsible of me to just keep putting the money in and keep going. Cause I had a family at this point. It wasn't like I was single in, in my twenties, but there was something in my stomach that kept saying, this is going to work. This is going to work. Right. I met a guy yesterday who's got a, a matcha soda business. He's been at it for seven years. He's pretty much broke. And he's like, I'm not quit. Like I know it's going to work. I'm not stopping. And so for him, um, it would almost be worse to quit. Uh, Right. It would be it'd be like if he gave up digging for the gold, like he would just be upset with like. So in his case, he's got to keep going for it. But he's got four kids at home and they're not eating because of this soda idea. He's like, yeah, pull the ripcord. That makes sense. So so I think it depends on your purpose, but don't do what I did because I'm I'm irresponsible and I'm just a maniac. Like I just won't stop. But by the way, I, I've had failures. I have plenty of failures. Yeah. But you, you have to be a little bit of a maniac to be successful, though, in, in anything, don't you? You have to be obsessed in a way. Right? Yeah, there's, there's a great book um, that I was fortunate enough to meet the author of in the late 80s when I was in university. And um, he, he wrote a book called In Search of Excellence. And they, they studied 5,000 companies. And they said, what, what, what correlations are there? Like, what things do we see in the successful companies? And what they found more than anything was a monomaniac on a mission. It's that crazy person that's just like, we are breaking through walls. We're going to go. If we don't find gold here, we're going 100 yards to the left. And we are not going to stop digging until we find gold. Yeah. So. It's crazy how that person's looked at being crazy though, right? When everyone else is just fucking sleeping. There's a great saying. <laughs> you got to help me find it. Like, there's a great saying that, that like, you're only crazy till you're successful. Then all of a sudden, yeah. you're, then you're eccentric. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what you think about it. It's like all these people, they have these dreams they want to do, they want to work on, but so many people are scared, man. Like nobody is willing to go because you have to, when you think about it, you have to be a little bit crazy because you, you're doing way more than the average person. Well, not only that, you're going against the grain typically. You're doing something yeah. that everybody's saying won't work. Yeah. Right? How, how have you noticed now since growing up? And I, I saw a, one of your videos on Instagram. I was following you and you're, you gave your kids the kettlebells while they're going up the hill. Yeah. This, is, this was awesome because I, I, I see, like it's so smart because how, how are things different from when you were a kid back when you were growing up till now and how soft are people becoming? Listen, I'm, I'm, I would be considered, they probably want to lock me up on how I treat our, my wife and I, like, it's amazing my wife hasn't divorced me the way I treat the kids, okay? And I don't beat them, but, like, they're up at 5.45 a.m. They got to do Mandarin and math every day. They're working out. They're sweating. They're carrying kettlebells up a mountain. My two boys, my two boys ran New York Marathon, Boston Marathon before they were eight years old. So, like, wow. crazy shit, right? Even with that description, my kids are soft. They're soft because... I'm writing a parenting book right now. What the hell do I know? But here's, here's what I do know. 
the data tells the story. I mean, obesity rates, let me show you this text I just got. I'm gonna pull it up on the screen. Uh, childhood obesity is rising shockingly fast, even in poor countries. It's nuts, right? It's, I mean, it's hockey stick. It's going like way up. Yeah. Straight up obesity rates, right? 300 million kids are gonna be, like, it's insane. Yeah. So, so the parenting methodology that's taking place is not working. And so yeah. I get it because I'm a parent. We've got four children that you want to protect them. You want to coddle them. You want to bubble wrap them. You want to remove obstacles from them. They no longer go outside. Kids go outside less than prisoners today. Fact. Right. Think about it. Wow. Kids aren't outside anymore. Like, yeah. And so just because of those trends, yeah. uh, you're exactly right. The childhood that my kids have is different than what I had because I just was outside every day. Yeah. There used to be a commercial when I grew up in Queens, came on every night, 9 p.m. It's 9 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Because everybody's outside. That's, That's so what we're true. doing. Right? And so just yeah. by being outside, like you're negotiating with other kids, you're getting your ass kicked, you're yeah. getting you're playing street hockey outside. Exactly. Yeah. That's all gone, right? So yeah. so you know, if we wanted to think about the animal kingdom, because we a lot of times we forget that we're animals, there's no other animal in the animal kingdom that does this to their cubs, right? They take the, the cubs and they prepare them for the wild. And if by chance that cub happens to end up in like your house or my house, that cub can no longer go into the wild because it's domesticated. Yeah. It's fucked. And yeah. so, right? And so yeah. we're taking our cubs, we're not only domesticating them, we're, we're treating them like zoo animals right they're yeah. fed on demand we remove every friggin' obstacle from them and then and after college we expect them to go to the wild what happens they're they get, depressed they're, they're eaten depressed. alive eaten alive eaten alive so so people why would i you know i'm sorry sorry i'm getting fired up about this but like love it man a month or two ago i had the kids carrying kettlebells and sandbags and shit from my friend's house to my house it was just a mile and a half. Yeah. And um, it was no big deal. And this woman pulls up next to us, screeches her car. Kids, are you okay? I've seen you walk at least a half mile. Is he a coach? They're talking to the kids. And I'm like, ma'am, th these are my kids. They're, it's fine. Yes, I'm a coach. It's, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful. She peels away, gets water, comes back. It's hot out. We're fine. It's a mile and a half. It's no, yeah. when I think about it, she hasn't seen children outside in a long time. It was almost like, like there were wild animals. Like, like they, there's no kids outside anymore. Go to any playground. There's no kids. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. And I love what you're doing because you're going to get your ass kicked in life. You're going to get your ass kicked. And all you're doing is just developing a little bit of mental toughness. I mean, everything's not easy. And like, I mean, when I grew up, and this is what I want to talk to as well, is that I do think that there's a good balance between like the old school coaching that used to happen. Like I used to get, I used to play hockey and it was like, it was all fear based, right? It was like, if you don't do this, we're skating lines, we're bag skating till we puke and things have changed a lot now where it's like, it's more about cause kids tune that out. How important do you think it is to like have that good, that good kind of uh, balance between kind of keeping the kids motivated, but like not, to the point where it's like, you know, back in the day where it's like screaming at them out of fear. Like, what do you, what do you think I about all that? Screaming at them. I mean, I'm learning, I'm learning myself watching, yeah. trying to coach my kids and having other coaches help them. And it's really simple, actually. Um, if there's other kids around, yeah, it's easier because it, it, as long as there's a couple of kids hustling then the other ones yeah. just get pulled along with it. And, and if you ever saw the movie Hoosiers, um, what you got to yeah. do as a coach is simply remove the bad apple. You're out. Yeah. That's it. Like you're out. Now you're gonna sit on the sidelines and watch and wish that you were playing yeah. or, or practicing because this is a privilege what we're doing here. And uh, listen, not every kid is, uh, I'm sorry, not every kid's gonna do it. And, 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 and I'm not gonna drag the, the 10 kids doing it down because you're a bad apple. Yeah. So get your shit together, screw your head on straight, um, cause we're building champions here. Yeah, man. <laughs> I love it. It all starts and there's, that's the age where things form, man, like the habits. And let's talk about, I want to talk about discipline too. You know, what are some of the things that 
that you see people lacking in, in, as far as discipline? And how important is that for the younger generation to get that instilled in them at a young age? My thing is, I just talked about this the other day, I did a little video and I said, um, if you wake up early, even if you're exhausted, you went to bed too late, right? But yeah. if you get up early, you know this, you get so much more done in a day. If you attack the hard problems, if you don't put things off, if you keep your car clean and your, and your desk organized, you pay your bills in advance. Like, that's so much more freedom. You're so much more relaxed. Your shoulders drop because you're ahead of the game. Yeah. And so let's just walk through, let's walk through what most people do because that's not what most people do. No. What most people do, right, wake up late. And so now, now they've woken up late. Now they're behind the eight ball. They didn't get the workout in. Now they come home in a pissed off mood and they fight with their spouse. Now they have a few drinks to kind of take the edge off. Now they're up late. Who knows? Maybe they even at that point go to a bar and they flirt with like it, literally little tiny decisions. I like to say these little tiny decisions that seem insignificant. They're, they're the equivalent of if you and I were in a, a, a spaceship and we were, we were in the cockpit and there's 500 dials on the dashboard. And by accident, we turned one of those tiny little dials a millimeter to the right. That's like an insignificant little decision. Like who cares if I woke up 10 minutes late, right? Little decision, except you end up on the wrong fucking planet in the spaceship. That little turn puts you on the wrong planet. Right? So, so those little decisions change the whole game. So people think, my wife thinks I'm like crazy, I'm maniacal about all these little things. But like, I ran my own business for 40 years now. I would get home in that first business at 11 o'clock at night and I was exhausted. We've been going since five in the morning. And I don't wanna clean out the truck. And I don't wanna restock the shelves. And I don't wanna do my billing. But if I don't do it then, the next morning, what happens? The truck's not stocked. I drove 45 minutes to a job site. I don't have the shit on the truck that I need. The customer's pissed off. Customer's not paying me. They're telling somebody else that we suck as a company. So like, fuck, it's 11 o'clock at night. I got to do the work. Yeah. And if I do the work and I wake up early in the morning, I get the job done, I get paid and everything flows nicely. I noticed that too. And you get up when you, even if you have a shitty sleep, you get up at, like, man, I was testing at 4.35 in the morning. You're just, you're, you're building that mental checklist, like making your bed, done. You know, if you practice gratitude or meditate, done, done. And you're taking control of the day instead of the day taking control of you. Yeah, it's always better. Like when you wake up early and you can actually just to start to tick those things off, like the simple things. I've tried, you know, making the bed, Tim Ferriss style, you know, all those little, those little mental checklists, meditation, gratitude, before you turn your phone on, before you, you get dialed into the matrix, Otherwise, a day takes control of you and you're just chasing your tail. I've noticed it so many times. You know, sleep oh in God, a little bit, hit that, hit that snooze button and then it's like, oh man, I'm already like frazzled and then you get the email that, that drives you nuts and it just all spirals out of control. It, it's not just the day that spirals out of, like I said, it leads into a, a spiral out of control week, which leads out to a bad month, to a bad year. You don't get the results you want. Yeah. So um, the other thing that your audience should pay attention to um, that's really powerful is notice, notice the distractions. So here's what I, here's what I learned is, um, we want to avoid every human being wants to avoid discomfort. Yeah. So, so, uh, you're up in the morning early and you're going to make a charge towards success. You listen to this podcast and you're like, I'm getting after it. Yeah. And you get up in the morning and you're getting ready to meditate and work out and do all this stuff. And your mind is getting, oh, I got to check my phone. Yeah. Oh, oh, I got to go uh, do that. I got to walk the dog. I, what your mind is doing, and, and it's important to be aware of this, what your mind is doing is saying, don't do the work. That's uncomfortable. And let's go do something else. And, but you don't even know that's happening. It's happening subconsciously, right? And so just pay attention because when it happens, say, oh, no, you're not going to trick me. I'm getting my work done. I'm not really hungry right now. What are you talking about? Sometimes you're running, right? You're in the middle of a run and you're like, I got to stop running and walk or I got to, no, you don't. Says who? <laughs> yeah. Your the, inner, is, the inner bitch. Yeah. So, 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 um, so you just got to pay attention to that because all day long, every day, your mind is going to, 
is going to throw these little curveballs at you that are helping you avoid discomfort, which is really um, ancient wiring to protect us. Yeah. Right. To, to, to not put our hand on the stove, to not get eaten by a fucking pterodactyl. Yeah. How, how has all that stuff helped you with, with the writing as well, man? Because so, I mean, cause you, you, you know, getting fit, you know, physically is, is one thing and being able to be on top of your game, but then being able to like hone in and to be able to focus to, to write is like, you know, they're so different. How has all that, would you say that it's the discipline aspect of it? Or I would, like- I would say, um, I would say discipline's a non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, so it's just non-negotiable. And, and uh, the way you tackle that, if you're confused out there, you feel like stop and never say that again. Uh, because none of us are disciplined and none of us are motivated, right? But we changed the narrative and we said, we are disciplined and we are motivated. And so just change the narrative. Uh, number two, I would say um, the brain that does the writing you just asked about lives inside of the body. And so if the body is sweating every morning and it's healthy and it's doing all the things, well, then the brain is going to be healthy. I mean, you know those old jars that the, the, the scientists and the doctors would have where the brain is sitting in the floating yeah. liquid, <laughs> yeah. right? Do you want that liquid to be like black or do you want the liquid to be clear? And so like our body is really just water. And, and so if you fill it with fucking French fries and chocolate cake and all kinds of shit, and then you turn the pump off our heart and you don't clean the filter, what that liquid's going to be black. Yeah. And the brain's not going to be functioning at its peak level. So, so I don't know. For me, I'm disciplined and I'm motivated, and I'm just going to keep telling myself that so that I remain that way. And I'm going to sweat every morning, and I'm going to take an ice-cold shower, and I've been taking cold showers for long before Wim Hof was even talking about cold fucking water. And, and, um, and I'm just going to do the work. Yeah. That's it. I do the work. Yeah. And there's no shortcuts, right? I love that. Sure it's does. like, we're all, we all have that monkey brain and we all want to be lazy. Yeah. And, and I love that. It's just, just stop telling yourself, you guys stop being lazy fucks, you know, yeah. like be, take control turn, turn of it. Around. Take control, turn around. And, t- and by the way, don't just tell yourself, tell everybody. Yeah. Now you're on the hook. <laughs> Who? So you've been doing the podcast game for a while, YouTube, you've interviewed tons of people. And I'm not going to ask you who your favorite is, but who has impacted you? Like, who have you been like, fuck, this guy's a beast or this guy is smart or, I you mean. Know, you know, there's a couple that jump out. Um, uh, Dan Pina, P-E-N-A. So, so two people, two people, Barry Hearns, uh, Dan Pina, uh, both animals. They'll cut off your head and shit down your neck. Is, is there, like, these guys are fucking animals. And, um. They're both in the UK. I met, I met Barry Hearns. You never hear him on any interviews anywhere. I met him randomly. I was giving a speech somewhere and he was in the room and I was listening. I was like, I grabbed somebody's camera and I did a podcast with him. He was so unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. So, so those two, those two guys really um, were unbelievable. There's tons of women. I mean, we've done, so I've done so many podcasts. Uh, yeah. I, I saw you, but you've interviewed everybody. You've interviewed the best. Yeah. Have you met David Goggins? He's a fucking animal too. I know David well before this game. We, we, oh we, yeah. We would be at races to I'd be racing. He'd be racing. We know each other from, um, <laughs> from another time. Wow. Yeah. He's man. Like, yeah, I remember hearing him back in the day, like way back with Rogan and like, before he became massive, but like mm-hmm. that guy is just, you know, what are, what are the similarities between these beasts? Is it just, just like being like, wh- how you have to be borderline crazy as well, though, to get to those results, right? I mean, what are the things that you, the similarities? Is it just discipline or what else? First of all, first of all, it's important for everybody listening. If you could run 100 miles, 200 miles, 300 miles, whatever, um, it's not that hard. Like, like, we are designed to chase down food. Like we yeah. chase down a deer till the deer gets exhausted. So like, um, I would argue it's harder to sit in an office all day and type and be on health. Like that's harder than doing what the human body was designed to do, which is hike and walk. Like it's no big, it's no big deal. Great point. It seems uh, out of reach and untouchable and like uh, superhuman. Um, and I'd love to pat myself on the back and say, I did all these unbelievable endurance feats, but like just fucking like, Come on, can you imagine being Lewis and Clark? Like, 
Well, I don't know. You're Canadian, so so Shackleton. I don't know. Give give me some explore <laughs> from fucking from Canada. That um, Wayne Gretzky, man. Wayne Gretzky, but like if he, if he skated across the Arctic, then I would say. But but you get my point. Like yeah, I get, it, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's not running a couple hundred miles. Give me a break. Can you imagine? It's the 1800s. Yeah. You come over my house and you're like, hey, we're going out to the West Coast because there's uh, gold. Yeah. So we saddle up a couple of horses. You get your wife. I get my wife. Maybe we even grab, grab grandma, right? Yeah. And we start taking our horse and carriage across the country. And along the way, there's a snowstorm. We break a wooden wheel. Grandma dies. Your wife gives birth. Like, that's fucking endurance. Yeah. Doing an Ironman? I've done a lot of them. Every mile, there's water. There's music. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Not that hard. So I would say the hard thing to do is what we talked about earlier, which is just, I like this term, fire-ready aim. Forget about aiming and getting ready. You never do. Yeah. You listen to podcasts. You read books. You go to see gurus. You never do anything, right? And so I like to just fire. Like, we're doing this. Yeah. We're saddling up the horses. We're getting the carriage. Grab grandma. We're going cross country. We're going to, we're going to find gold. Because if you sit around and think about it, you just never do it. Fear comes in and talk yourself out of it. Talk yourself out of it. Analysis paralysis. So, so I would say, like in the morning, I don't feel like going for my run or doing my workout. I just put your shoes on and start. Like, all right, here's a trick. It's a great trick. A lot of Olympians use this, which is, I don't feel like doing it. I know I got to run 10 miles. I'm just going to do a half mile. Once you go a half mile, you're like, fuck it, I'll go a mile. Yeah. And you do two miles, right? And before you know it, you did, I'm not going to go home and only do two. I might as well get the 10 done. Yeah, it's so true, man, how we talk ourselves into that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so you know, it's, it's that old adage, just get started. So I like to fire, then get ready, and then aim. Yeah, and it's crazy how just this small period of time, how we've developed these lazy, this lazy habit of like We're learning helplessness. It's crazy, man. And that was—it's just been such a even, such a short read, period of time. You can't even read a map anymore. Yeah, yeah, right? I know, man. It's not. You don't even spell anymore because of autocorrect. You don't remember phone numbers anymore. There's like I used to have seven hundred phone numbers in my head. <laughs> yeah, you know, in the UK they have something now called bed warming. Okay. Jesus. So you know, you know, you're going to be home at 7 PM. Right. And you're like, well, I don't want to get into a cold bed. So somebody goes to your house, lays in your bed for a half hour, gets it warm and then leaves. <laughs> in, in New York city, they have people you can hire to talk to your children, to negotiate with them on how to use their phones and not to use it too much so that you don't even have to get uncomfortable talking to your kid. So what do you think about all of this technology right now because obviously there's there's a lot of good to it because you know we can have these conversations and inspire a lot of people and do a lot of cool shit but like obviously there's a hindrance too right in the social aspect of things like what are your thoughts on it and where it's going i gotta tell you um i was really fortunate my wife and i bought a farm up in vermont where this whole thing started and i got a little taste of like chopping wood and having cows and chickens and stuff and, and I got to tell you, as cool as technology is, you and I are doing this podcast right now over this screen, and I, I'd much prefer just carrying rocks up and down the mountain and yeah. having chopping. I, like, I'd much prefer going backwards. And um, I think we'd be a lot healthier. We'd be a lot happier. Obviously, it's got, you know, there's tremendous advancements in health and wellness, but, but if you look at the numbers, we're not seeing any results. Mm. It's going the wrong way. And, and the reason it's going the wrong way is because um, everything we talked about, which is uh, people are learning helplessness. They have to do less. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to leave your house. I took my kids on a big hike in the woods in Vermont, and they wanted to call a pizza delivery. Because <laughs> <laughs> they don't know, right? They know, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, so I think, look, um, if I had my way, everybody would be up at 5 a.m., mandatory, you know, 30, 50, 100 burpees. Lights would be out at 8 p.m. There'd be no devices. We'd all chop wood for heat. I think the world would be a better place, but I'm, I'm a Flintstone. Oh, I love it, man. 
What are, what are some of the things that the leaders out there that you see are frequently, you know, do, making mistakes with or, or that kind of drive you nuts? The biggest thing that drives me nuts is when people say, Joe, let them be children, especially to my kids. Yeah. Like your methodology for taking care of our children is not working because of the numbers we talked about. Yeah. Number one. Um, number two, this whole coddle, like at, at universities, they have crying rooms now. If you're upset, you go, like the whole, it's fucking ridiculous. Um, in, in, uh, in the office environments, everybody's got to be coddled and protected and lawsuits they're worried about. And other, like, I sh I, they don't even know it. I turn the elevator off in our office building so people can't take the elevator. They got to take the stairs. Right. And so maybe that's not legally sound or whatever, but like, I think we need to kick people in the ass a bit. Mm. I spent time at Google, at Facebook, at, at uh, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, and, and, and do like corporate talks. And, and like, these are advanced companies with lots of money. And, and these corporate wellness programs are all failing. They, there's no corporate, like there's candy everywhere. There's fucking yeah. ridiculous. You want corporate wellness? I put the parking lot four miles from the fucking office. Make everybody walk, yeah. right? No elevators, no escalators. Now, obviously, if there's a handicap or whatever, work that out too. But I got handicapped people come out to races. I got a guy with one arm does the races. Like, so, yeah. I, you know, way too soft. Not and, a lot of accountability either. Yeah, there's no, like, because everybody's worried about being sued. They're worried about making everybody happy. And I would say, uh, you want to make everybody happy, make them fucking work hard. Yeah, wow. I totally agree, man. Talk to us about your newest book, man. And, you know, what this you're working on, on now. This book I'm writing, yeah, this book I'm writing, this parenting book. Um, it's basically uh, a kick in the ass for a wake-up call for parents, including me, and saying, like, um, you can't bubble wrap your kids, right? You can't remove the obstacles. Actually, uh, you're doing them a disservice. And here's why. And here's look at the data and look at the stats. And, and the best thing you could do for your kid is um, put obstacles in front of them and make it harder on them. Because uh, what happens when you're gone? Yeah. Then what? There is no mommy. There's no daddy. Right. So like, look, a guy came to me the other day and said, hey, uh, there's a private school in New Hampshire. I'd love to talk to you about sending your kids there. And um, it's a sleepaway school. And even me and I'm a hard ass. Right. Even me, I'm like, oh, I don't want the kids to go away because I like having them around. Yeah. The reality is they'd probably do better if they went away, if, if we yeah. could afford it and send them. Like, But no, daddy wants them around, right? Yeah. So, so it's, it's wrestling with your own human instinct that want to protect the kid and you're, and you're actually failing your kid. Yeah. In Sparta, uh, 2,500 years ago in Sparta, Greece, when the child was seven years old and the boy was seven years old plucked right out of the house and started training 13 years of training that kid got one article of clothing the kid had to survive on his own was allowed to eat whatever he wanted as, or, as long as he stole it he had to steal his own food because they wanted to make him street smart now i'm not saying we have to be that extreme but like look at the samurai i lived in japan i lived in japan uh for a year yeah. at 6 a.m on a sunday uh, i saw kids on their bicycles with their baseball bats and their gloves biking to the field on their own, playing baseball all day and coming home. Like, you don't see that anywhere. Kids got on the train by themselves. We went to a wrestling practice in Japan on a Sunday morning, started 8 a.m. The kids had to get the mats out. The kids had to wipe and clean the mats. The kids had to do a prayer with the coach. And then they did five hours straight of wrestling. Wow. The coach would be shot in the U.S., <laughs> yeah <laughs> same in canada you know? yeah totally man it's even when i i mean i'm 36 growing up things have, i've seen it, it's changed a lot and what you talk about still existed when i was growing up like everyone was on their bikes everybody was hiking there wasn't we had no computers none of that shit yeah. parents would have to scream and yell hey come inside like, oh, like no we have to hide yeah we're not coming, <laughs> not coming in like we're playing, we're playing kick the can or we're playing no. capture the flag or something, man. You know, what was great about that is you had to negotiate with kids, right? There was an alpha dog and like, yeah. you have to figure it all out. Yeah. Now, now hey, they're all on the computer screens, man. They're like, on the computer screens. The joke. What, what's your diet look like? I'm curious. I lean much more plant-based. Um, I did. God, it's gotta be at least 
15, 20 years of, of pretty, pretty healthy eating, uh, leaning mostly plant-based, about 65% veggies, probably 20% nuts and fats. So I love, uh, I love cashews. I probably shouldn't eat as many cashews as I do. I love cashews, almonds, walnuts, et cetera. I love avocado. I love uh, plant-based oil, some fish, and I hardly ever eat meat. My drink of choice is, is water. Um, I, I'm very fortunate. I don't like alcohol. I don't like the taste of alcohol. I don't like the coffee. I would say once a week, you might see a coffee in my hand, but I don't even like, to, I do it because somebody else has a coffee and it like, you kind of feel cool. It's like, I don't know. It's yeah. a weird thing. Yeah. I hate the taste. Really? Uh, and I, we got some nutrition products coming out. I, I'm a very, I'm a minimalist when it, like I, I've done very long distance races, you know, 500 miles, whatever in very difficult conditions and I've done them on, on, on raw fruits and veggies. I've got some minimalist uh, supplements coming out that I'm gonna try to rock the whole world with that um, I, I don't want people to fill their cabinets up with all this bullshit. Most of this stuff's not FDA approved. I, I, I know supplements. Now I do think, I do think you need uh, electrolytes, minerals, et cetera, because um, we have a farm in Vermont and I've tried to grow a lot of things on that farm. And when the soil is depleted, stuff doesn't grow. Mm -hmm. And so if we're eating food from depleted soils, we're not getting the same rich minerals we used to. I, I've also been in races with myself or you know, I got 1.3 million participants a year. I see people locking up out on course. Like you do sweat outside, right? You need that replacement. But I don't think you need a sugary drink and a bunch of bullshit marketing. Um, and so I got a solution to that. As far as energy goes, I got, a, I got a pill that we're coming out with that is plant-based, it's raw, it's just one pill, and um, game changer. So I'm psyched about that. And, and it's not all the bullshit and the sugar. And I, I have a, a mineral-rich green powder that I give the kids a scoop a day for the reasons I said about the soil before. It's got all the superfoods in it, it's expensive, uh, but every day, uh, a tablespoon, mix it with water, drink it for the kids, because I know when they're not with me, they're eating cookies and and garbage and not getting their food so uh i like matcha i recently when i lived in japan i found matcha tea i like it man so you don't have a lot of like the bad habits like the coffee and the booze man that's crazy that's awesome good for you yeah you coffee, know coffee is a dangerous it's great but man if people that don't drink it i'm like don't ever try it don't just stay away from it man like the problem with coffee is um it's dead yeah you roast the bean and it's dead. And then you're extracting just one component from that plant. And, um, and I know, I know it's addictive. I know. I mean, look at how much coffee is being sold. My, you know, I love the, the people are addicted to wine and beer and all that shit. I get it. But, um, but, but why do you want to eat process? I was on wall street and I know that if you and I, um, had a, a, a food company and because I spent so much time on wall street and you and I were really morally sound, and we wanted to get people healthy. The reality is we got to make our quarterly numbers. And so here you and I are, we set out to change the world and we're going to make all this healthy foods. We've got to make our quarterly numbers. Yeah. And, it, and it turns out that if we change the ingredient a little bit, we're going to save 2 million bucks a quarter. Fuck it. Yeah. A little bit. Oh, and, and if we make these fake French fries that aren't from potatoes, uh, we're going to make an extra 10 million bucks this year. Fuck it. Do that. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what happened to our food supply. So yeah, it happens all the time. It happens all yeah. the time, man. I, um, first of all, where can everybody find you, man? Uh, go, uh, go uh, email me Joe at Spartan.com. I know that sounds crazy, but, um, I don't really get a lot of, um, uh, wasted time emails. So yeah. I give everybody my email. Don't waste my time. If you're going to write me an email, make it a sentence or two. Cause I'm not going to read it beyond that. And um, I'm pretty responsive. Instagram, I just started this. I was on a camel in the desert in uh, the Middle East. And I said, fuck it, I'll do Instagram. So I just started this Instagram thing up. So um, it's real Joe Descent. I'd love to, love to um, engage with you on Instagram. I'll give you a kick in the ass every day. We got the podcast. Um, Spartan up the podcast. You can watch it on YouTube or uh, however you want. listen to podcasts. I don't know. iTunes. And, um, and that's it. I'll have all that in the show notes. I followed you as well today and uh, told everybody you were coming on. So it's, uh, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure everybody, it's a no brainer to follow you, man. You got some fucking awesome content. 
and and just you know your youtube in general is is great you interview some of the best of the best like nice. and it's 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 great so where's most of your your audience is canada u.s where's your audience? all over the place man canada u.s everywhere all over so, so um so here's what i want people to do is go out to your audience and say joe wants you to commit to um spartan for 2020 right because we want to introduce them to themselves i want to change your lives and um i'll give away like 100 entry however many you want me to give away for free but the catch is they got to commit uh, within a week of you posting it. Okay. Because, because I don't want people, I want people to fire ready aim. I got a couple really good friends who are, who are doctors that, that go to every, go every year. So they're going to love this. Yeah, yeah. So, so they've got, you know, whatever you want a thousand entries. I don't care. Yeah. 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 You know, one week to commit. All right, cool. All right. Awesome, man. I, uh, one, one last question, man, no. is that, out of everything you've learned, all the adversity, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? It's never that bad. It's never that bad. It's never that bad. Yeah. It's never that bad, right? So as long as you keep things in perspective, um, is it really ever that bad? Like, like um, I got a friend who's going to jail uh, in two weeks, and this was a very, very prominent guy. He made a silly stupid mistake that you guys would laugh at um this is a 25 million dollar a year guy okay and you know you could see he's a little rattled i mean he lost his career uh, like and i said dude you're not missing a leg not missing an arm like and it really resonated with him and so i i say to myself i saw a lot of people die when i was young my family's most of my family's dead have have your wife or your husband drop you off 40 miles from your house without money and fucking get home. You'll never complain about anything again. Uh, that's so true. It's all perspective, man. All perspective. Oh, fuck. Bro, thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with us, man. This all is right, awesome. Man. You're awesome. I'll yeah, see I, I appreciate you, dude. Have an amazing day. We'll, uh, we'll make sure I have everything posted in the show notes for them to check you out, brother. Thanks, everybody. I hope you got value out of that. I love that conversation. Um, make sure to check out Joe on all platforms. We'll have everything in the show notes. I appreciate you guys. Have an amazing day. We'll catch you next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.